This is T.M. Camp, and you're listening to the podcast edition of my novel, Assam and Darjeeling. Book One, Exiles. Chapter 10. In the darkness, the girl woke to the sound of running water. She felt the sway of the river, the lapping of the waves against the wood. Her brother's voice called out close to her. She sat up. I'm here. Were you asleep? Not really, she lied. Maybe a little. They floated on in silence, bumping together from time to time in the darkness. The boy began to doubt whether they were moving at all. He was just about to dip his fingers into the water to make sure there was still a river there when his sister said his name. What? What do you think Dad's doing right now? He thought for a moment. He's probably sitting in the hospital room with us or with Mom. He might be reading or talking to us to wake us up. How come I can't hear him? Her brother had to admit that he didn't know the answer to that. After a while, she said his name again. He sighed. What? What? What do you think Mom is doing right now? The boy closed his eyes, looking out past the blackness and the water, searching for his mother. She was still out there, somewhere, but he couldn't quite feel where or how far away she was. They were headed in the right direction. He was certain of that. After all, the river only flowed one way. I don't know what Mom's doing, he told his sister. They each settled back into their crates, trying to get comfortable in the cramped space. The long night wore on, the two of them staring out blindly into the darkness. They talked for a bit, and they dozed for a bit, lulled by the sound of the water and the gentle motion of the river. And when they slept, they dreamed. Odd fragments and scraps from their lives, little echoes of what had come before. Eventually, the sky grew lighter, but there was no sun, no clouds overhead, just a broad canopy of pale gauze that stretched from horizon to horizon, slowly growing lighter as time passed. They could see the trash littering the banks on either side of the river once again. It all looked the same as before. It was like they had never even moved. Do you really think it takes 40 hours to get there? His sister asked. To get where? She shrugged. Wherever we're going? I don't know. She sat up. You don't know how long it will take? Or you don't know where we're going. He sighed. I don't know a nicer way to get you to stop asking me so many questions. He settled back again, watching the bank slide by. Other than the trash, there was no sign of life. No houses, no people, nothing. 
he wondered how long it would take to paddle to shore by hand. Up ahead, his sister called out, Hello, Charles. He looked up to see a familiar boat sweeping past them heading back up the river. The tall, thin boatman stood in the prow, turning his head to watch them as they passed. The boy turned around just in time to watch the boatman reach into his coat pocket and raise that blocky cell phone to his ear. His voice, dry as dust, rippled back in his wake. The boy strained to hear over the sound of the water. He thought he heard the boatman say, Juicer, or possibly Jupiter, but he couldn't be sure, and he certainly had no idea what it might mean in either case. And then the boat and the boatman were gone, swallowed up by the mist and the river behind them. The boy looked to his sister. I think maybe we should stop for a while. Why? He shook his head. He had a bad feeling about that phone call. He got up on his knees and started paddling for shore, pulling his sister's crate along behind him. She would have helped, but her arms were too short. Her fingertips could barely reach the water. He got as close as possible to the bank before hopping out to wade the rest of the way to shore, towing the crates behind him. He dragged them up onto the mud as far as he could. The boy walked further up the shore, where the sand was drier, and sat down to watch his sister carefully climb out of her crate, trying not to get her feet wet. She trudged up the shore and sat down next to him, brushing the clumps of wet sand off of her snow boots. Now what? I don't know. He looked back over his shoulder to the top of the bank. But after I hide the crates, we'll go that way. Why? He shrugged. Because. She waited a moment for him to say more. When he didn't, she got up and went back down to the river's edge. There was a green plastic cup lying half buried in the sand. She picked it up and rinsed it out in the river as best she could. Once it looked reasonably clean, she dunked it into the water and lifted the full cup to her lips. Her brother was beside her in an instant, slapping the cup from her hand. What do you think you're doing? She looked at him in furious amazement. I'm thirsty. He pulled her back from the water. You can't drink from that. Why not? She rubbed her arms, sullen. It takes away your memory. What are you talking about? The river, the water, he spoke as calmly as he could so she wouldn't throw one of her classic tantrums. If you drink from it, you forget everything. What? There are a bunch of rivers down here. One of them makes you forget. It wipes away your memories. She looked at him skeptically. How do you know? I read about it, he said, not a little defensively. In a book. What book? There's lots of stories about people who, if you step in it, will your feet forget how to walk? What? No, I don't know. But there's lots of stories about how dangerous this place is. Like, you can't 
drink, or eat anything down here either. What? Not eating or drinking, he repeated. And you can't accept presents or favors, and you're not supposed to tell anyone down here your name or... What do you mean down here? She looked around. Where are we? He had to admit he didn't actually know for sure. I've read about it. A lot of it's the same. Like the boatman, he's in most of the stories. But some of this is, well, pretty different from what the books say. Different how. He got up. He'd seen an old checkered blanket lying nearby in the sand. He wondered, briefly, who would come down here for a picnic. He decided he might not want to know all that badly. The boy pulled the blanket out of the sand and shook it off. Well, for starters, there's no cell phones, not in the stories. He dragged the crates together and draped the blanket over them. Are you building a fort? Despite the sarcasm, his sister came over to watch. No, he said, tossing handfuls of sand up on top of the blanket. Now give me a hand. With what? Just help me cover this up. She knelt down on the other side and started throwing sand up and over the blanket. Um, he said from his side. Try to get more on the boxes and less in my eyes. Sorry. They scooped sand for a few minutes. So, why are we doing this again? His sister asked. To hide them. From who? To keep people from seeing them. What people? He stood up. The crates were more or less covered with blanket which was more or less covered with a thin layer of sand. How's it look? She rose, brushing off her hands and eyeing it critically. It looks like a couple of boxes shoved together under a sandy blanket. He nodded. Yep. Maybe, she said. The reason no one wrote about the cell phones was because they hadn't been invented yet. He stopped, looked at her. What? she asked. I think, he said slowly, you're probably exactly right. He took her hand, and together they picked their way up the sandy slope of the river bank. At the top, they saw nothing but a vast barren plain of dark sand as far as the eye could see. The girl gave her brother a look that said, Okay, now what? He stood for a moment, then knelt down. There was something sticking up through the sand at their feet. He brushed it away, clearing off a large wooden sign that had fallen over. Moontown, it read. There was a longer message spelled out in faded letters below. His sister knelt next to him. What's it say? Are you hungry? His sister nodded. A little. Come on, then. He stood up and looked back down the bank to make sure their crates were safely stowed and hidden. It irritated him tremendously that his sister was right. 
Even with all the junk on the shoreline, the two wooden crates stood out like a sore thumb. Or two sore thumbs. Where are we going? she asked him. He scanned the horizon and then pointed away from the river, across the sand to a cluster of low buildings huddled together under the pale sky, hardly more than dark shapes in the distance. There. What's there? I'm guessing, he said. That's probably Moontown. I'm guessing you're right, his sister answered. Why, thank you. I guess you're welcome. Together, they started walking. What else did the book say? The girl asked. The stories about the rivers and stuff. The boy thought for a moment, trying to remember. Well, you shouldn't eat any pomegranates. Why not? I don't know, he admitted. But it's in a bunch of the stories. Oh, the girl said. After a minute, she asked, What's a pomegranate? I don't know, her brother said. Something that's... It's a piece of fruit. Something with a lot of seeds inside. She thought about this for a moment or two. So I can't eat anything. No. Why not? Because if you do, you'll have to stay, always. They walked on in silence. What if I'm really hungry? His sister asked. Then I guess you're really hungry. She didn't care for his matter-of-fact superior tone. What else? What? What else do the stories say about this place? Well, you should always be polite. That's a big thing in a lot of the stories. And you should never tell anyone your name. Even if they ask me? Especially if they ask you, he told her. Why not? Because, he trailed off, thinking. Because names have power. She squinted up at him. What kind of power? Her brother shook his head. I don't really know, but it's in all the stories, practically. Then what should I tell someone if they ask? The girl asked. Should I lie? The boy shrugged. I guess. But doesn't that go against the polite thing? I have no idea. I think it's better to be impolite and safe. So what should I tell them? I don't know, just make something up. They walked on in silence for a time. What about was on those boxes? The girl asked. What boxes? She gestured back towards the river behind them. The boxes, the little boats. Oh, um, it said Darjeeling on yours and Assam on mine. I know what they said. 
And they were crates, not boxes. Whatever, the girl said. What do they mean? I don't know. They fell silent again, walking together towards the cluster of buildings. As they approached, they could hear the faint sound of voices, children laughing and playing. No food, no favors, and don't tell them your name, the boy reminded his sister when they'd reached the outskirts. Yeah, I got it. He nodded, and together they entered the town. You have been listening to Assam and Darjeeling, written and performed by T.M. Camp. A new chapter from the book is available each week, free to download at the iTunes Store. To find out more about Assam and Darjeeling, to read my weblog, or to send me your questions and feedback, visit my website at www.tmcamp.com. I hope to hear from you. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you soon. This podcast was written, performed, and produced by T.M. Camp and may not be copied, distributed, transcribed, or otherwise reproduced without his express written permission. Failure to comply is probably not the worst thing that's ever happened in this world, but will nevertheless be considered extremely underhanded if not rude, placing your name in dubious and undesirable company, which includes certain former employers of mine literary agents who have yet to recognize my genius and potential, my ex-wife, the executives at HBO who canceled Deadwood, and that one kid who was really, really mean to me back when I was in the fourth grade. Honestly, you can keep better company than that, can't you? Unless otherwise noted, all contents of this production are copyright 2007, TM Camp, all rights reserved, or something. <laughs>